Well, I hope you are ready for an action-packed chapter because you would be hard-pressed to find a chapter in the book of Acts or most of the New Testament that has more action than this particular chapter does. I think you could go to Mark and, and find chapters where Jesus does this, that, and the other. Those would certainly compare. But this is, um, this is a pretty exciting time, so let's leap right into it, shall we? Last chapter we met Aquila, Priscilla, and Apollos. More and more people are helping Paul spread the, the gospel to the Gentiles. Well, Apollos was at Corinth, verse 1 of Acts 19. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, No, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So Paul asked, Then what baptism did you receive? John's baptism, they replied. Paul said, John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. He told the people to come in the one, uh, to believe in the one who was coming after him, that is, in Jesus. In hearing this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Paul placed his hands on them, and the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. There were about 12 men in all. All right. There are many commentaries written by very wise people about this passage, and they do disagree to some extent. Uh, there, there is a rather good-sized consensus, but just be aware that there are outliers. I was raised in one of the outliers. The paperback uh, blurb on how we looked at this was that when Paul said, did you receive the Holy Spirit? And they said, who's, the, who's that? Then Paul immediately knew they hadn't been baptized according to Christ's law because at the end of Matthew, the Bible says to baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if they hadn't heard the name of the Holy Spirit, then they weren't baptized according to Matthew chapter 28. Now that's a classic example of making the Bible fit your preconceived model of what it should be. The Bible doesn't give us a formula of what to say at baptism. We develop our own. But the Bible does not have one that says, if you don't say it this way, then it is not valid. And some of you may be saying, because I know I would have been saying back in my 20s, wait a minute, it does say. It says, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, so that's what you have to say. Actually, that's not what that means. I cannot knock on your door this afternoon and say, open up in the name of the Williamson County Sheriff's Department because I don't have the authority to use the name of the Williamson County Sheriff's Department. I, I can't say, open up in the name of the president. I don't have the authority to use that name. When we baptize people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we are doing so by their power and authority. It's rather like praying. So many people pray, they enunciate well, we hear, what they're saying and where they're taking us in the prayer. And at the very end, in most Protestant traditions, there's a form of saying, in Jesus' name, amen. And in low Protestant churches, which is the, the, the Protestant churches I was raised in, as well as many of you, um, that do not have liturgy and rite, uh, R-I-T-E, but rather, you know, they sing, they pray, the average person is engaged. 
I will hear far too often, you know, Lord be with us and grant us peace, in Jesus' name, amen. They throw it in there like a Roger Wilco over and out. They don't understand that when the Bible says to pray in Jesus' name, you don't have to say in Jesus' name. You are praying a prayer by the authority of Jesus and what you're going to talk about in a prayer are things that he would be concerned about. That's why the old country song, Oh Lord, won't you buy me a Mercedes Benz, has an answer, no. Because that's not something Jesus would have talked about in prayer. We have to be careful and conscious that we are praying with his authority and for his purpose. The same with baptism. So that's not what's going on here. What's going on here is that the people were baptized, but they'd been baptized to John. And this was a very common thing. You were baptized into the teaching and the authority of a particular rabbi. And their rabbi, the one who brought them where they were at this point spiritually, was John the Baptist. Paul says, no, wait, are you aware John's teaching was that you were to then go to the one who comes after him because he is greater than them. And he, this, this is always in scripture, a distillation of a longer event. So he would have talked to them about John's message was about the Lamb of God. Behold the Lamb. Well, here is the Lamb of God. And so they were baptized into the name of Jesus. They became Jesus followers, disciples, Christ followers. Now, once that happened, Paul laid hands on them and they received miraculous gifts of the Holy Spirit. There are some churches today that say this is required for membership there, or if not required, there does seem to be a two-tiered system of membership. Um, those that practice these gifts openly in the worship and, and in devotions, and those who do not. And, and there are, in fact, in the Assemblies of God, some real crises right now because of a, there's a great deal of lack of interest in the very gifts that used to define them. And I'm not sure how they're going to resolve all of that. Every, every denomination has issues, so I'm not picking on them. Everyone has issues. So what's going on here? We can't assume it's normative because we don't receive this message about a lot. But they're speaking in tongues. What, what does that mean? Well, in our today's parlance, speaking in tongues is some sort of an ecstatic utterance, sometimes called the language of angels. And yet every study we've ever done, and remember, I'm brain guy, science, um, the, uh, and I'm not saying I'm super intelligent, I'm saying I study the brain. Every study ever done has shown that that kind of tongue speaking is a learned event. Uh, they, there are certain patterns of that kind of tongue speaking that are prevalent in this group, in this culture, that are not in the other cultures that say they are practicing the same. The uh, interpretations thereof are also always leaning right into the culture and the direction of that church. We find that it, it's just not something as miraculous as we might think. That said, what if you speak in tongues? And what if it's meaningful for you and your people? Okay, I will not argue with your experience. And while I will not join with you, 
I don't look down on you by any stretch. Because we disagree on this doesn't matter. We, we love Jesus. But there are those who say we, we, we're never going to get the power uh, of the early church unless we have the gifts of the early church. I, I'm not so sure that that's true. Jesus, remember in a parable, told, uh, told about Lazarus, the, the rich man and Lazarus. And a rich man was told by Abraham in Jesus' story that even if somebody comes back from the dead, your brothers aren't going to believe. Jesus did a bunch of miracles and people killed him. Doing miracles has never done anything except validate that you are speaking for God in this, this, this time. We're going to actually see another example of this ramped up. And then we're going to have to deal with something else in Scripture we've already read about. All right? So what, what speaking in tongues means? It is always meant to speak in other languages. To start the church, you had to get past the problem that every 20, 30 miles you went, there was a different dialect. And I guess we could call it language as well. But there was a different way of speaking. And therefore, to travel from place to place, yes, there were common languages. Greek, Latin was coming on pretty strong. But the common people who did not read you know, the text out of Greek or Latin and did not do business with government, Many of them didn't speak these other languages well, and so you could speak in their own language. Remember Acts chapter 2? That's what made people wonder on the day of Pentecost, whenever they said, here we see these ignorant and unlearned men, and yet they're able to speak in our home languages. Well, this was to get the gospel out there, but it was never intended to continue, or it would be continuing today. In fact, Paul in 1 Corinthians, as we've already seen, says, listen, this isn't helping us when you speak in tongues because you're speaking in a place that speaks a different language. You're just showing us that God has given you gifts. Take the gifts and use it elsewhere. Or if you have to use it here, he said, have somebody interpret or it doesn't do us any good. These were languages to help spread the gospel. Uh, they prophesied. Prophecy, again, to us means talking about the future. To them almost never did. It meant to publicly and boldly speak the truth of God's word. So all that said, why don't we have them today? Well, I do believe we have miracles today. Um, there are many unexplained things and I, would, I don't hesitate to believe that God is at work. But why don't we see these miracles continuing? Because after a while people would believe just so that they could get healed. They would believe just so that they didn't get sick. So that's not what the miracles were for. They were part of the scaffolding to build the early church. And once the church is moving onward, we take the scaffolding down. And our job now is not to impress people with our spiritual powers, but to love them. And love them until they ask you why and we tell them about Christ. Well. I'm sure some disagree, but I do want to make sure that if you disagree with me on this, that you understand that I truly believe that if you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you are my brother and you're my sister. And I will not fight you or debate you about it, any of these things, because I've read Romans 14, 
and I know I'm supposed to sit back and I'm supposed to believe what I believe and teach it, but not divide. Division is a horrible sin. Well, Paul enters the synagogue in verse 8, spoke boldly there for three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. What would you give for that recording? And he was a masterful speaker, and he knew the old scriptures, which are the only scriptures out there at this time. He knew what we call the Old Testament, forwards and backwards. He was very adept at using them. Wouldn't you love to have all of that so that you could approach your, your Jewish or Muslim friends and say, look, here are the proofs. The only reason we don't have it is because it was assumed we wouldn't need it by the writers. It was assumed we already knew all of this. It was assumed we already knew the old Jewish scriptures as well as we should. We really do need to know them well. There are a lot of things in the New Testament that really can't be cleared up and understood unless you have a really good in-depth understanding of the Old Testament. But perhaps a subject for another day. Some of them, even with this, there are miracles and there's Paul's excellent preaching. But verse 9, but many of them became obstinate. They refused to believe and publicly maligned the way. The way is one of the early names for the Christian church. There were others, the Church of God, the Churches of Christ, the Church of the Firstborn, the Disciples, the Christians. They did not choose one official name, but I've always loved the name The Way. Problem is that other churches have already grabbed that, and one cult has grabbed it. So, people, this is why we can't have nice things. But I just love the way, because it really is the way. It is, it's not a, a religion of going to a sacred brick and mortar space and going through a ritual. It is life. It's conversation. It's how we present ourselves to others and how we work on our own hearts and our own sins, not walking about condemning those of others. It is a way, step by step. So Paul left them. It, that's what it says. They maligned the way, he left them. He took the disciples with him and they had discussions daily in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. I love Tyrannus. Somebody needs to name their kid Tyrannus. No, don't do that. It's, it's, um, this is not a dinosaur. It was just a name of an official there. And remember that in the Greek society, which I know this is a Roman Empire, but the society was pretty Greek. They liked to argue. They liked philosophy, and therefore they met to do that. That was their entertainment. That was their ESPN 1, 2, 3 and classic. So that's what he's doing. This went on for two years. Three months in the synagogue, two years here. Paul is investing in this region so that all the Jews and Greeks who lived in the province of Asia heard the word of God. Does that mean all of them? And oh, do I hear the echoes in my head of the preachers of my youth? All means all, period. We use these words, synecdoche, uh, hyperbole. We use metaphor, you know, 
she's angry all the time. Doesn't mean she's angry all the time. I'm hungry all the time. Doesn't mean I'm hungry all the time. This means this had pretty much saturated the area. Paul had now gotten all the low hanging fruit and he'd gotten to all the rest out there who, who would hear about this. And so he'd saturated this area. So what did God do? Uh, verse 11, God did extraordinary miracles through Paul so that even handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched him were taken to the sick and their illnesses were cured and the evil spirits left them. This is unprecedented. There is nothing like this before this or after this. This surge of miraculous power that he could just touch stuff and then that stuff was taken to somebody who was sick and they were cured or they had a demon and the demon was cast out. What? Well, we'll tell you once again, scaffolding, building the early church, getting the surge past all the walls people had built up so that Christ could then work in love and work in this new way. It needed that extra boost. It needed kind of heaven's artillery to soften up the battleground long enough to send in the troops. And by the way, when you send in the troops, it's always advisable not to send, keep pounding with artillery. So again, um, military and carpentry metaphors for you today. This was to get them ready and to get them open. Please remember, we've already read books because we're reading them in the order they were written rather than in the order the events occurred. We've already read books where Paul couldn't heal Timothy and he couldn't heal himself or others where he was cold and asked for a coat to be brought rather than just manifesting a coat. These, this burst was highly unusual, highly focused, and it was not to be the norm. I, in fact, I, I can just say, have a look. There's, there's another way to do this as well. If you look at the books of the Bible in the order in which the events occurred and the order in which they were written, especially when you look in the, um, whenever you blend the two, and you can do that, you will find that mention of miracles starts off with this atom bomb, but every book after, fewer and fewer and fewer. And it's pretty good evidence if you decide to give that a try. Um, Tim Woodruff, and that's W-O-O-D-R-U-F-F, -F, I think it's two Fs. Tim Woodruff wrote a book on the Holy Spirit. The title escapes me right now. Somebody may put it in the comments, but please go and uh, on Amazon and look at that. He actually does the survey for you and shows how that goes. But the book, his book is not about proving that the Holy Spirit isn't at work today because the Holy Spirit is. But this sort of thing is not. And there are charlatans out there, people, let, please listen, that if you send them money, they'll send you sacred water that's been blessed or sacred handkerchief that's been blessed or this sacred thing or that sacred thing that's been blessed or here's water from the river of Jordan here is olive oil from the Holy Land. None of that 
is worth any more than the materials that made it up. There is no spiritual essence assigned or attached in any way. It is fraudsters getting your money in the name of Jesus and they're going to pay for it. Take a look at the, the powerful faith healers of the last hundred years. They all have one thing in common. They got sick and died or they will get sick and die. The Bible does not promise us straight teeth, health, vitality. It does not promise us an easy way or a powerful way in the ways of the world, the, the slam and the bang and the fireworks of miracles. No, it promises us cross, struggle, but we are to be shining lights of love in spite of that. All right. People want it in on the act though. Let me get a little refreshing beverage. Some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits. All right, I want to just stop here. Exorcism was a thriving practice during this period of history and had been ever since they came out of Babylon, out of the captivity there. They had picked up a lot of the concept of demonology and how to handle them from the Babylonians. And that worked its way and it became an expressly Jewish expression of the faith, of that um, of faith in demons and exorcism. But you had people whose, that was their job. That's how they made money. They went around doing this sort of thing. So some Jews who went around driving out evil spirits, but I don't know if they did it or not, if it worked for them or not. I just know they said it did and then got paid. They tried to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who were demon-possessed. They would say, in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, why would they have to say whom Paul preaches? It's very simple. Jesus was about the most common name in this period of time for Jews. So it's rather like in Scotland, you, you have Alistair and Ian and Alec, John, you pretty much named uh, a vast swath of the Scots. Well, and you know, in Northern Ireland, Patrick and Michael might, might take the same position. So they have to say that Jesus. Remember, last names don't come along for a while. And when they do, they're usually tied to position, character, or profession. So they're just saying this is in the name of Jesus. That's who we're going to do this. Um, I command you to come out seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. One day, the evil spirit answered them. Jesus, I know. And Paul, I know. But who are you? You got some goosebumps yet? Oh, oh boy. Here you are, you got your gig. You're doing your prayers even if you believe it's actually having an effect. And you're casting out demons and people are grateful and they're handing you money. Uh, you're, you know, you're five sons of the chief priest and you've got some you know, cachet because of his name. And then you're going out and you're saying, all right, hey, Paul's doing some amazing stuff. Have you seen the handkerchiefs? So we're gonna do this. We're going, to, we're going to tap into that power supply and say, in the name of Jesus, 
I want you to be really careful about saying things in the name of Jesus. I know we pray in the name of Jesus. I want you to be really careful because you need permission. Now, Christ has given us permission as sons of the Father and as his brothers and sisters. But even then, be careful. I listen to a lot of podcasts, and some of them were by atheists. I want to know what they, what they say. I want to know what they're thinking. They, uh, they usually don't come up with much in a way of good arguments, but sometimes they do, and it makes me think, and I appreciate that. And I will not name this, so don't even, don't email me about this, and you can always email me at info at rsafeharbor.com uh, or make a comment down below. I'm not going to give you the name of the podcast, all right? These are all atheists. They are aggressive at it. And they're also, they, they believe they're funny. And sometimes they really are. Most of the time, they're not that funny. But every other thing, and somebody says something, they'll go, Jesus Christ. And I'm going, you're aggressive atheist. So you don't believe that saying these words mean anything anyway. Can I get you to say some other words? The answer is no. They, they don't accept anything sacred at all. And I remember the sons of Sceva. They kind of, you know, cock of the walk here, top of the, top of the, of the heap, king of the hill, walking around, we're tapping into this. And as people say, this guy's got an evil spirit. We can handle that. Right price, whatever. And they say, all right, in the name of that Jesus that Paul's preaching about, come out of him. There's a silence in the room, and the man with the demon just tilts his head a little bit. Says, I know Jesus. I know Paul. Who do you think you are? The man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them all. He gave them such a beating that they ran out of the house naked and bleeding. I would consider this a warning story. Thank you very much, Jesus, for the warning. Well, when this became known to the Jews and Greeks living in Ephesus, they were all seized with fear, and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. I get that. You get that? We're, we're all tracking? I think so. Many of those who believed now came and openly confessed their evil deeds. Now listen, they already believed. And maybe this helped them believe more, drug them over the line, but they already believed. But they had not believed in the power of their faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit's power was not to be measured in casting out demons, but in the way you lived your life as a Christ-like person. And so they, for the first time, dug into their own lives and found where they had been playing little games and flirtations with the devil and with other false religions. And they had allowed impurities to get down deep into their lives. So what'd they do? They confessed their evil deeds and a number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly. When they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. 
very roughly speaking, one drachma was about one day's wage. So this is a lot. They had invested all this money in these spells and these secret arcane esoteric rites in these pagan worship manuals. And they came and they burned them. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. I want you to notice something. In the first part of the chapter, they received the Holy Spirit. Something is not said. We moved on to the next bit and miracles abundant. Handkerchiefs, anything touched, I boom. Something is not said. Here, people believed and cleaned up their lives and it is said. What's said? In that way, in this way, the word of the Lord grew and spread. It's not by the boom. It's by the daily constant decision to live like Christ and to be a Christ-like person. We're about to wrap this up because we, we heard from, from some that using this on their Bible classes, whether it's small group or um, in a brick and mortar churches, we, we know dozens of brick and mortar churches that use these for their Bible classes and thank you. And many of them send us support and we um, you know, just saying thank you. And we received, um, since I'm gonna tell you where it came from, a hundred dollar check this week from a church I'd never heard of, way outside of our tribe, in a state, in a place I've never visited. I've been in the state, but never around that particular town. And this sent us a check for a hundred. I'm assuming they're using our videos. You need to know you don't have to pay for them, but when you do give, and you find out how to give through OurSafeHarbor.com, when you do give, it pays our bills and lets us do this. So yay, thank you, all right? Um, the word is going to spread, not because of Patrick and this little iPhone and a tripod, even though I have the decorations from my grandkids' Father's Day. I know it was a long time ago. They're staying up for a while, all right? Uh, you, you, I know those are special. You'd pay to see those. It doesn't grow through me and this. It grows through you sharing with one other person. It grows through you loving somebody. It grows that gentle movement forward. That's what we're all about. After all this had happened, Paul decided to go to Jerusalem, passing through Macedonia and Achaia. After I've been there, he said, I must visit Rome also. Irony, foreboding there. He'll go to Rome, but not the way he wanted. He sent two of his helpers, Timothy and Erastus, to Macedonia, while he stayed in a province of Asia a little longer. Oh my, we're only halfway through an action-packed chapter, but we do need to stop it here because once we start the other, it's going to go um, and we don't have that kind of time. Thank you for spending your 30, 35 minutes with us in the middle of the week. I hope it's encouraging. Um, I hope by this time we have our podcast back up. The man who set up our podcast, maintained it, he lost his job and he's in a state far from us. He was doing this as an act of love and lost access to that server. So we are trying to find another way to get our podcast up. But you can also just put on these videos and listen 
as you go about your day rather than watch. It's possible. All right. God bless you. We'll see you next week. Cheers.